Hello and welcome to the PR Week, PR Week's regular weekly roundup of everything that matters in the worlds of PR and communications. My name's Steve Barrett. I'm the editorial director of PR Week. Going to guide you gently through another show, the first proper show of the new year. We had a good fun last week with the PR Week team and I hope you enjoyed that. We did, but we've got a proper guest for you this week. We've got Adriana Bevilacroix who is the Chief Creative Officer at Embooth, better known as AG. AG, welcome to the pod. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you for having me. Great to see you both. Yeah, um, obviously we're here with Frank Washkirk as well, who is the Executive Editor of PR Week, I believe, and uh, he's going to be uh, co-hosting with me. How are you doing, Frank? Thank you for having me on, Steve. How are you feeling? Bit into the spirit now? Yeah. And, uh, years Full up and running. It really is. It really is, yes. We look back, it feels like it wasn't that long of a break. So no. we're ready to go. Doesn't. I'm off to Davos next week mm. to uh, hang around the fringes of the, uh, the rich and important people and uh, try and glean some uh, insights and hope a bit of their stardust falls my way. So uh, we'll be bringing you the podcast from there next week. And uh, Frank and the team will do a bit of a roundup from home base. But uh, let's start with, well, after we've spoken to AG, we'll talk about stories. Alaska Boeing, another crisis in the airline space for Boeing. Talk about that. Kirsty Gallagher, named Edelman US CEO. We'll, we'll uh, reflect on that. Lessons from Pop-Tarts edible mascot activation. Everyone's been talking about that one. The Golden Globes review. What did you think? Does anyone care anymore? What do you think of the presenter, the sets, all the good stuff? Trends from CES seems to be quite a bit of buzz down in Vegas and uh, our sister title campaigns reporter, uh, editor, uh, Jess Haygate, she's there um, doing her thing. Lots of people moves and uh, we're launching the call for agency business report submissions. That's a true sign that the new year is here. But uh, AG, you've done a, an op-ed for us pretty much most of the last 10 years, haven't you? Every year around the end of the year, you sort of look ahead into the crystal ball and we know readers love it and um, so tell us a bit about what you talked about this year and what you see as the big trends or things that you're that are on your radar for 2024 sure well thank you for calling it um trends my best friend who works in branding in san francisco called me and said AG, do you have the cultural autopsy ready? And I was like, <laughs> that's a really interesting way to sort of frame my perspective. But yeah, for me, just like on a very human and personal level, digesting what's happening in the world is how I process life in the bigger sense, but also for our clients at Booth and specifically for my role, obviously, as chief creative officer, yes, I'm coming up with ideas, but that isn't possible unless you're constantly taking the cultural temperature and being in touch with how it fluctuates and what are the small nuances of the changes that are happening. So in some ways, I'm hypersensitive to all of these changes because really my professional career is about sensing, researching, and reading all of this. People often ask me, you just start researching this piece? And the answer is no, it's not a research piece traditionally. It's really the combination of everything I read, watch, podcast, conversations I have, you know, research I comb through during the year. And I literally start making notes in January um, about everything and how it changes and progresses through the year. So that's a little bit of the behind the scenes. And it um, changes so quickly these days, doesn't it? I mean, even look at the Golden Globes, we'll chat about them later. You could sort of update it from that, couldn't you? 
Absolutely. I mean, for me, the way and the way I talk to clients about it and the way I talk to even like my sisters, one's a lawyer and one's a therapist, they're like, what did you just send us? I'm like, okay, let me just give you the scoop. The way I really think about it is there are macro movements that we're watching that are playing out over 10, 20, 30 years, my entire career, right? Like an example of one is this idea of health being kind of like our new wealth, right? That took on new meaning during COVID, during healthcare crisis. But then within each of those macro movements that we continue to watch, there are trends, right? Specific trends that spur from that. And then within that trend, I call them trending expressions, which is like how you might experience it on TikTok, right? But it's not about the the mermaid nail polish that you see that's linked to a trend, which is linked to a larger macro movement, right? That was set in, probably set in place two or three years before and you're sort of seeing it, you know, play out across culture in different waves. So just really understanding the currents themselves and how these currents like intersect each other is just personally fascinating to me. This is what I love to do, um, you know, for clients. So I do my spare time as well, constantly think about, read um, and, and discuss these issues. And so, you know, for this year and I hope everyone reads The New Yorker. It's so damn good. But um, it's a subscription I've always had and I always read the paper edition. One of the pieces that they wrote, which really spurred my imagination, was around the times we're living in and the need to name and frame. What is our period called, right? In 200 years, what will people look back and say? And they actually looked at different academics um, and again. scholars. There you go. <laughs> my favorite from the article um, was the terrible 20s. Okay. Are we just living through our terrible 20s? But I also say it's unfortunately feels a little bit more serious than, you know, yeah. terrible 20s. You know, some scholars were calling it like the new dark ages, which I thought was interesting, which of course like refers to like pre-Renaissance times. Um, for me, the term which really became popularized in the EU was polycrisis. And to me, that really discusses the world that we're living in. There are so many intersectional crises happening at one time. And because social and digital media, we are just confronted with them daily. You're scrolling for, you know, Christmas pajamas, you know, for your children, and you're seeing live footage from a war, and then you're also seeing a lifestyle influencer next to that talk about why that footage is misinformation when that footage actually came from what you thought was a trusted outlet. This is the world that we're all navigating, right? We're living sort of under these three existential threats right now, if you think about it around AI, which I'm sure we'll talk a lot about here, the environment and climate. And, you know, we are being confronted with potential wars across the world, right? So how do we make sense and kind of like unpack all of that? And sort of the big streams that I see going into this year is, Obviously, we have lived through a very stressed state. As you pointed out in your piece, Steve, we have the, and you have to make sure I'm saying this correctly, the maxi quadrennial ahead of us. That's correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, where you have the U.S. election, I think almost 60 other elections was the number I think that you shared. Obviously, it's an Olympic year. It's also a leap year for fun. Um, There's a lot, there's going to be a lot popping. European soccer championships. Don't forget them. Absolutely. That's because that maxi quadrennial is a Martin Sorrell phrase, and obviously he's, he's English, so... He has a bit of a European slant. I, you know, we never. It's it's a great phrase. We loved his little commentaries didn't yeah. we, when he was in charge at WPP. But yeah, it it should in theory be a, a big year for marketing and comms because there's activations around all those things that that involve the industry. Yes, I agree, and I think also numerologists would say that 2024 is a is a um, has a good omen to it because it's 
adds up to eight, which is like, you know, the sign of infinity. I don't know if you've heard or, or read that, but I there are some people on different <laughs> cusps of culture that are discussing the numerology behind 2024. But for me, right, if I think of all of us in our business, our clients, the business world, we are living in this poly crisis, but then there's like this year of opportunity in front of us, right? So it's like, to me, at the crux of how do you go forward living among all of this intersectional chaos, all of this noise? And I think sort of the the framework I'm using to think about 2024 is we are living in a stressed state, but we have work to do. So you're going to see people kind of move into what I categorize as a fight or flight. Like the fight would be sort of like, how do we slay these monsters in front of us, right? These threats, how do we combat them? And then I think that there is the flight. You're also, and you're starting to see this happen, people sort of seeking a sense of escapism or I want to flee. I want to go into a more visceral place, right? I want to think about travel. I want to think about the things that are comforting to me. You see sexy positive is a trend that I'm thinking about, you know, for next year too. But like, it, you know, sex is a more visceral topic. You know, in some ways, sex is escape um, for culture, for people. So I think that these topics will also bring a ton of draw to consumers. Brands will find a way to kind of play and dance in these spaces. And I think ultimately the idea of fight or flight aren't opposites, there it's an it's an and not an or like i think we actually need to flee sometimes i think we do need to escape into the world into the depths of the world into our passion and love so we're sort of inspired to fight right for things that are worth preserving um fighting against some of the threats that we see as a society. So as I frame up the eight trends, and I did do eight this year for the 2024 and the infinity and the good omen is like a little Easter egg. Um, I'm thinking about them in those streams in some ways is sort of like, how are we going to fight what's ahead? And then how are we going to also flee and protect ourselves in some ways um, and enjoy our time on the planet, right? We say in the economy trend that people are living like there's no tomorrow because, well, <laughs> there might not <laughs> yeah, be. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's weird at the moment because most of the main economic indicators are really positive, right? We've got low inflation. We've got high employment. We've got um, high consumer demand. We've got greater productivity. We've got all the major signals are good. There was massive spending over the holidays. Um, construction is booming. Um was the holiday spending, did you see that as an indication of your sort of flight part of it, almost escapism, we're going to have a great Christmas or holiday, whatever your uh, holiday you celebrate is? Was that part of that as well? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think it is part of it. I think typically during economic times that have been uncertain, you see people saving, right, putting money back into the housing market. But, you know, we're seeing people buy $1,100 <laughs> concert tickets to go see Beyonce, Stanley, right? Stanley, Stanley. Uh, and Taylor Swift, w- right? We're going to get a $32 water bottle. Mm. Um, and I'm not judging anyone, right, for how they're going to live. But again, you you are seeing um, people really seeking out the experience and the things that like give them life, right? Because there has been, we've been living through and we will live through a lot of shaky ground. And I think that is part of that, you know, part of that flight is I want to grab what's here today. Um, you know, if you look at like memes on Instagram and TikTok, it's like, you know what, while the world burns, I'm going to go see Beyonce (laughs) because why not? You know, so you see a little bit of that, almost like a YOLO 3.0. I I frame it as like the economy and that people are really hungry for these experiences. Um, you know, even see like the sphere in Las Vegas, right? People are like seeking out these like adventure weekends with their friends to reunite and go see you too and see the bands that they want to see. And even out of, um, CES, I love this trend of instead of like AR, they're having 
they're calling it XR, which is extended reality. So it's like, I'm not trying to transport into a different place, but I want to take the things that I love about the here and now and extend them even further, which I thought was sort of an interesting, you know, spin on the AR VR stuff we've been hearing for 10 years. So those are sort of the vectors, you know, that I'm seeing this, this next year in. Um, How much of this is related to social and how much is it, if you sort of took social away, how much would the the trends be different? Because it feels like a lot of the lens, especially if comms and marketing is through that social lens. And that can be a dark place. So you mentioned it with all this stuff next to each other. And it's frankly, it could drive you insane if you, if you get too drawn into it, into the vortex. Um, What's your view on that and, and how much social is part of your trend spotting? And, and I, I'm fully aware that a lot of people, especially young people, do spend a hell of a lot of their time on there. So it's really important, especially for brands. Yeah. I think it's so interesting, um, and I don't mean to dodge a question, but if like, so I'm born in 1980, I'm, I'm sort of an exennial, like on the cusp of Gen X and millennial. Um, and I can't even really barely remember my career without social and digital media. So it's hard for me to even think of the world, <laughs> subtracting that from the world. Um, all I know is about three years into my career, as we saw the proliferation of social and digital media, what became very clear to me, even like as a, a young woman um, in my early days at Ketchum was, and no offense to any media or journalists, <laughs> the media are not our target audience. <laughs> They're not. Our yeah. target audience is consumers because what the media actually cares about is how consumers, what they're feeling and saying about brands, ideas, and stories. So really, we're designing for those end consumers. And then they started talking back to us on social media and telling us what they think, how they feel, expressing that in content. So for me, along with looking at some of you know the macroeconomic stuff, um, Social and digital media can tell you so much, particularly when you're, you know, looking at millennials, Gen Z, and sort of how they're experiencing the world. Um, you guys talked about it, but, you know, I do think TikTok specifically is going to be a huge lever in the U.S. elections this year. You know, um, the ability, for, we haven't really seen a ton of politicians get on directly, you know, using influencers, but I think um, I'm Because it's a massive search forum now, isn't it, for, for Gen Z. They don't search on Google, they search on TikTok. They search on TikTok, and I think the thing that TikTok for me has done brilliantly. And again, like I'm, I'm an elder millennial, so I'm not a total TikToker. I'm more of like a voyeur on the site, but it takes complicated information for people. And it just make you know, it's like TikTok taught me, right? It makes it so simple to understand. And I think the, some of the politicians that can get that right, right on that TikTok platform, one I'm watching is, um, I think his name is Jeff Jackson in North Carolina. I went to school in North Carolina. So I always have a little NC love. Um, he's a dem, but he is just able to explain very complicated ideas about housing in like 30 second videos, right. And sort of communicate to his base and get feedback and, you know, hear what people are thinking. So I do, I do think it will be a huge factor. It's for me, it's really hard to unpack social and digital with trends because that is us listening, you know, to people directly versus going through third parties, you know, to gain, mm. to gain understanding. So for me, consumers and social media are like the direct research, you know. Talk to us about X, um, formerly known as Twitter. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see, for example, in the Super Bowl, whether X is the place where all the conversation happens because a lot of the conversation has historically happened there. The election, you know, Candidates are still pumping a lot of money into it. But from a brand safety point of view, you, I mean, certainly 
I've been advising brands to steer clear of it because it's such a toxic environment. You, 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 there's racism, there's anti-Semitism, there's, you know, the, 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 the owner of the company bringing on Alex Jones in the same week as the anniversary of the school shootings. Disgusting things going on there. What's your take from someone who's creative officer at an agency, you're planning your client campaigns. How do you approach that uh, in terms of advising clients? Should, should they be on and how, what, a, what factor will that have this year? Yeah, I think it's probably not always like a one size, you know, fits all. I think it also depends on like who their key consumer, you know, who their key consumers are. Um, I think it's how long has your presence been there. One thing that we're doing across the board, right, with our clients is, and no one's denying the toxicity of, of X, right, but there still are a lot of conversations that are happening there. Um, I'm not going to say every conversation is bad that's happening on that platform, but I think we continue to counsel clients to diversify the social platforms that they're on. I've been a Substack fan. I follow a lot of journalists um, on on Substack, and there have been some not great findings in terms of what Substack has enabled right on their platform in terms of hate. So I'm even reading some Substackers mm. are like, what is the new platform? Is it, uh, I want to say it's called, not Bumble, something B adjacent um, that people may be migrating to because they weren't happy. So I think in the future, not hitching. Bumble's your, another thing. Yeah, that's another discussion, <laughs> which we also have cool takes on. Um, we also you know, are counseling our clients to diversify and not hitch all of your creative to one platform, right? Because things can happen with platforms. It's more of how do you stay idea centric and use those as needed, you know, as, as places for conversation and broadcast. I don't think right now it's a one size fits all where we're just saying everybody leave this platform. Um, it, it needs a diagnostic with a lot of different lenses, including crisis, including brand, including, um, you know, they're different employee stakeholders. Isn't, but Isn't the thing about the Super Bowl, though, that, that X is really like the one platform where the sports conversations and the sports related conversations are still happening. I, in I think time. so. And, and I mean, I look. Was that I, the case at the weekend, Frank? Yeah, I think yeah. so. And I think you see it as the playoffs get going. And so, I mean, look, I've been repulsed at a lot of the things I've talked about them on here. I've talked about them elsewhere. Things you see trending on X and and how far the thumb has been put on the scale for the conversations to be going in a certain direction, like what you mentioned with Andy Jones and uh, Alex Alex Jones yeah. and uh, and Sandy Hook and things like that, where you you see so many of the more prominent tweets about it now are things that did not happen in the real world, um, and it's gross stuff. But you know, I find myself like as you get to the last weekend of the NFL and there's all these different scenarios going on there kind of without thinking. Cause it's still, and I'm not sure that's healthy and I'm not sure. There's, it a little bit be, of, but, there's muscle memory. I think yeah, for it's, people it's, that use the platform. And I can sure. imagine a lot of people doing that for the Super Bowl. We loved Twitter. We yeah. loved the functionality yeah, yeah. And, tr- and threads, unfortunately hasn't been able to replicate that yet. So it hasn't really, whilst mm-hmm. it had a massive bump at the start, just like clubhouse did during COVID it's not being able to build on that. Do you see threads developing in, uh, is it a potential rival or platform or clients interested in, or are you planning stuff on threads? We've done some experimentation on, on threads. Um, I don't think we're seeing sort of a massive opportunity at this moment for threads. I think to your point in the muscle memory on 
X for Super Bowl, there will be action there. But I also think people are starting to use their Instagram stories, right? People are starting yeah, to post things on LinkedIn. True. So I think we're going to see a diversification. So while there will be some conversation, I, I remember looking last year at LinkedIn and seeing people being like, all right, here's my top five spots, mm-hmm. right? Doing small recaps, doing um, smaller, like little pieces of content to accompany um, what's happening there. I, I will say this: one of my uh, a friend from grad school works at the World Economic Forum and just posted, and you're going to Davos, um, just posted a really interesting graph of a lot of the um, you know kind of threats to the world, and one of them is like societal polarization. So, I think that in the year ahead, all of us, and this is kind of gets back to one of the. Um, you know, one of the trends here, right? Like we may not all agree or align, but there has to be a conversation. And there also has to be in some ways like cooperation, right? Even if we all don't have the exact same belief. And obviously that doesn't include hate or anything that's disgusting. But, um, you know, this idea that we'll only go talk here and then you go talk there. To me, it continues to also create echo chambers. And I'm somebody who will follow and, you know, I hope this doesn't upset anybody listening, but like Megyn Kelly, I'll follow her on Instagram. And I'll also follow Mona Shalabi, you know, who's an incredibly progressive artist and has probably polar opposite ideals to Megyn Kelly. I'm not here to judge these people, but when you're really looking at macro trends and we're, when we're really trying to think about the world our clients are living in, you have to understand where people are coming from. And you have to be open to that. You can't say, I don't like what you're saying, so I'm going to stop listening. Mm. Because I think that's when we also become in an echo chamber where we only understand a certain perspective. And whether we agree or not, we're not going to get anywhere right together. And it's difficult for clients if we just sort of put on, you know, put on our blinders and say, we don't want to hear or listen to those conversations. So I personally make a huge effort to listen to people I don't agree with. Yeah, we've <laughs> as got to foster- We've got to foster an environment where people can agree to disagree and not sort of end up hating each other or or disappearing off into their echo chamber, like you said. So that's absolutely true. Yeah, before we sort of end this segment, any other trends, quick trends just to oh my God, key yeah. the audience in? Yeah, I mean, the one thing that I'm talking about and no one is talking about yet, and I'm really sort of manifesting this for the new year, is really around AI inclusivity. Um I think our industry, we're talking a lot about tools and tactics around, you know, AI and how it can supercharge our business and how we can do things quicker and how is that going to change hourly billing to value billing. Um, And of course, in creative, there's so much it can unlock. And of course, we're, you know, using, you know, at Mbooth, really interesting tools to get to mock-ups faster, to, you know, edit editorial. Of course, that comes with the terrain. But to me, the more important conversation we need to be having is not what's five feet in front of us with the tools of the day, but it's sort of like what's 5,000 feet in front of all of us, which is really what AI could do to society. We are in some ways gatekeepers as marketing, as communicators, as people that work with the world's biggest brands and really impact how communication happens in the world. And, you know, there's some pretty dark things happening with AI, particularly if you look sort of into the dark web, if you look into mm. exploitation. I mean, you know, Mama, Bad actors always pick up on the new technologies first, don't I they? mean, it is, it is abhorrent. I mean, as a mom, as a woman, I think, you know, just the things that I have read, you know, over break, some of the research that I have seen around 
you know, imagine an AI generated sex tape of a junior high girl, right? That was circulating. Um, and how do you, you don't even have the law yet, right? To, in terms of how to prosecute something like that. We don't even have the rules of the road. There are influencers that have created what? There's AI influencers and there's influencers that have created AI versions to be rented out, mm. you know, as companions mm. to create only fan accounts, which really does lead to a potential exploitation of women, of children, a dehumanization of people. And I think not to be a fatalist at all, of course, I'm always on the side of innovation, but I think we all need to be eyes wide open and make sure that the right people are also at the tables as we discuss AI and that we do have diverse voices and that we include the people that are most likely to be exploited, right? That's more likely going to be women. That's more likely going to be children. That's more likely going to be women of color. We've seen some of the algorithmic biases play out. So ensuring that we have the right brain trust, the right conversations, and that we're having real talks about AI, because I think there's just a bit of a mentality. Let's just full steam on AI, you know, at any cost, but let's talk about the human cost. Let's put on our human being, you know, sort of hats and think about what we're creating versus just the this could do, this could help our margin or this could increase a product. There's such bigger questions on the table that I really hope um, our industry has. I think there are a lot of bright people and there could be, um, you know, some interesting ways we come together on some of these issues. So that's something I'm manifesting, um, but I think will be greatly needed in 2024. Yeah, I think if you looked at Davos last year, it was AI as how efficiencies, uh, workforce, <laughs> rationalizations and stuff like that. I th- hopefully this year there will be more chat like you you were explaining there, AG, and we're, we're in fact having a roundtable on it ourselves. So, yeah, we'll look forward to that. Um, people want to find out more about your uh, predictions, your uh, polycrisis uh, theories and all the, all the other good stuff, go to prweek.com and it's uh, the article is there. And look back at the others to see how AG did and uh, <laughs> and uh, audit her, her findings. But it's always interesting to read your stuff and we always look forward to um, uh, promoting that. So thanks for doing that. And we'll get your input into the stories. Frank, a bit of a frightening story this weekend, wasn't there? On High up in the air with the Alaska... Uh, plane, all of a sudden, part of the side of the plane blew off. Yeah, uh, Boeing, Boeing jet took us through it. It's being described as a door bolt, but really it looks like uh, half of the side of the planet. And the video is terrifying. It happens at 16,000 feet, which you can imagine that how it would feel to be on a plane on the uh, Alaska Airlines flight on Friday night. So it's actually turned into more of a crisis for Boeing than it has for Alaska Airlines, which is the plane maker. Uh, And it's the second crisis. uh, It's the second major crisis about planes for Boeing within just a few years. Now, it's really interesting. uh, Boeing CEO uh, had a all hands meeting and, uh, you know, very emotionally said that the company is going to be transparent throughout the process. It's going to apologize where appropriate. It's going to acknowledge what it uh, hasn't done the right way. So we will see uh, if they hold themselves to that because, you know, look, these become very contentious processes. There's a long investigation by the government. There will probably be hearings. It's probably going to be a long process. So um, this is just the beginning of it for Boeing, and and uh, we'll see how the rest of it starts to play out. And lots of their jets grounded on other Correct. airlines as well, which yes. uh, led to chaos in the uh, yes. airline space. Yeah, um, I think as a crisis response, what else can you say? And, and, and if it's authentic, and it seemed to be from what I've heard and the, the people that have seen it, uh, you know, the guy was almost in tears and... Um, but they've got to do better, haven't they? Because it's not the first time, as you said. And it's it's interesting. This this could be 
this is always positioned as a PR crisis, isn't it? Mm. It's not a PR no, crisis. No, it's not at all. It's a it's manufacturing a, yeah. crisis that has knock-on effects for the communications and reputation of the company, but it's not a PR crisis. They've got to make the planes better, you know? Yeah. And um, if you were the passenger sitting in that seat, which blew blew off, but God it, knows it, what it you also, would think, you know? I mean, there, there is a silver lining to this, and that clearly the crew of that Alaska plane was trained extraordinarily well in how to react if a situation like this, as unlikely as it is, happened on the flight. Absolutely. And that's actually very, very impressive and I think speaks very highly of that airline. Incredible. Now, will they actually get credit for it in the marketplace? Wow. I don't know. But I do think that the training that that crew had... It was incredible very good, that nobody obviously. died in that incident. Yes. And um, I'm going to keep my seatbelt on when I'm asked to get on planes moving forward. I always think of that James Bond film. Do you remember when... Uh, Which one was that? The, the guy was sucked out of the plane um, at the end. There was always the payoff at the end of the it's slightly film. embarrassing for me because I, kn- I know a lot of 007 stuff and I can't recall this so one. He was the... Yeah, I can't remember which film. I think it was Diamonds Are Forever. Uh, or it might have been Goldfinger, but... Um, yeah, he, he, so you've often wondered what happens if a plane does mm. have uh, something like that does happen. That if you'd watch that plane, you'd think people that film, you'd have thought people would be sucked out of the plane. So I'm glad to see that didn't happen in this case. But uh, Goldfinger, it's been a while. Producer fits to the rescue. So yeah, um, Dave, hor- Dave horrific Shirley incident. Did the, the, she did. Anyway, um, a former uh, well, a friend of uh, Haymarket founder Michael Heseltine. She sang at his. Uh, 50th anniversary as a company. Anyway, um, <laughs> I don't know where we got to that bit from the yeah. earth, but, but uh, thank God no one was hurt. Yeah. And um, yeah, a frightening crisis to uh, to avert. Interesting story from Edelman. They have a new US CEO, Frank. Yeah, an very. internal uh, promotion. Interesting choice. And I think one that might have surprised a few people, but it's Kirsty Graham. Uh, she's been promoted to US CEO. She was the global president of practices uh, and sectors. Now, she is, of course, going to replace Lisa Ross in that role who stepped down in October. Um, Graham is going to report to um, Edelman Stalwart, Matt Harrington, who's the global president and COO there. And Graham is going to manage about 2,500 people, 12 offices based in New York. She has a really interesting history. I I have to say, I didn't realize she came up uh, as a New Zealand foreign service uh, yep. officer, which yep. I, you could only imagine the experience she got in the U.S. and elsewhere doing that. But I think this also shows she was running healthcare at Edelman for a number of years. And I think it does show the importance of uh, the healthcare work, not just to that agency, but across the agency world and how much it has jumped to the front in the past few years. Yeah, she also used to that. work at Pfizer in-house. Yep. So uh, congratulations to Kirsty And uh, um, yeah, an interesting appointment. I know that you know, there were many people interviewed for that external and internal so um a great new job for kirsten we'll see how she does in that um let's talk about pop tarts the edible mascot <laughs> activation there it is the edible mascot for kansas state university the 2023 pop tart bowl champions of the world lessons this from is it wild. i i have to tell you i i i got home after traveling for uh for the christmas break and i i swear i was in like three different places people were just talking about this pop tarts thing that happened and i was like 
well, I have to catch up on this. So there's the Pop-Tarts Bowl, which is one of the, the seemingly endless number of college bowl games that, that happen now. I can't even tell you who played in it. But Pop-Tarts stole the show when uh, the trophy was actually sort of a sacrificial Pop-Tart that went into a toaster and came out the other end. And then the winning players got to eat the Pop-Tart. It was very medieval and weird in a way, but uh, <laughs> social media loved it. Um, and you pretty much summed it up when you said, "I don't know who was playing, but it doesn't matter." Yeah, uh, Pop Tarts was the was the headline. It looks which... like a, a team wearing purple. Maybe it's Kansas State. Anyway, <laughs> I don't. Uh, as people will tell you, I don't follow college football until the last few games. So, um, uh, Weber Shane was watching the, on Monday night. I was watching on yes. on Monday. I did watch most of the game on Monday night. Yeah. So, um, anyway, this happened at the Pop Tarts Bowl, of course. And look, this is a, this is a. I think this is a good win for this brand because how many of these bowl games do people actually know the name of? I I follow a lot of sports and I don't know the name of most of them. And I know the name of the Pop-Tarts Bowl now. And I'm sure a lot of other people have the same yeah, I was, I point of view. I was boring the newsroom in my tale of spending Christmas down in Florida, Jacksonville. And uh, we were in the same hotel as the Louisville team, which then contained Lamar Jackson, yeah. who is now... Probably the MVP of the NFL. Yeah. Season. So, uh, and they were playing in a bowl game. I think it was the Sugar Bowl or something like that. I don't know what it was, but um, it was it was great. It was interesting to see how many people are involved in a team. There were there must have been a hundred people, and you could tell which one was Lamar just the way he carried himself. It was very interesting. So um, the company is Kellanova, uh, which uh, which spun off of uh, Kellogg in the past few years. Um, the company that owns Pop-Tarts. That owns Pop-Tarts. Yeah. And they had another brand that followed up on this with, with a different bowl game, holding up a sign that said, I am not edible, which is uh, is good and Tee-hee. funny. Yeah. Cool. Um, and lots of other brands weighed in. Um, yeah. AG, what do you think of this? It's always a lot of fun to follow this. Diana Bradley covers a lot of these stories yeah. on PR Week. Totally. Can you plan for them? Do you have some, some of it luck? Or? Yeah, I think I thought it was really cute. Um, and I have some friends over at Weber and chatted a little bit with them about this work. It reminds me a little bit of the work we did um, with Bic and Ariana during Scandival. I don't know if you all followed that, but she had this horrible breakup and we helped her kind of unclog her life in the similar way that the razor unclogs itself, right? By burning sage and kind of, you know, rethinking her her life post breakup and people loved it as well it, to me it sort of falls in the same category of almost like consensus building content right or consensus building campaigns was that we, the breakup with pete davidson no um with tom sandoval oh. and then it was like oh, sorry, sandoval. Sorry. Yeah, it's sorry. um it's, you can tell how tapped in i am to popular this culture. is this is this is this is bravo math which we right. can talk about later um and we can talk about girl math and boy math because i still want to share that with you um but i love it because to me it's it's fun it's low risk type of work and i think we'll continue to see this year we have usher at the super bowl again not a polarizing figure who doesn't love mm. usher i think we'll continue to see brands especially brands with broad audiences not get into political discussions. Instead, let's talk about eating a Pop-Tart as a mascot. Instead, let's talk about a horrible breakup and unclogging your razor and unclogging your life because we all want that freedom, right, from a significant other um, and that unclogged feeling. I think we'll continue to see more of that this year because it's a safer place to play in this very polarized world that we're living in. So I applauded. I thought it was a really cute campaign, and I think we'll see more like it this year. 
And on that same tip, actually, Frank, moving on to the Golden Globes, really the abiding image of the Globes is um, Selena Gomez whispering in Taylor Swift's ear, isn't it? It's not. It's nothing to do with the show, the winners, or the, especially the host who didn't get good reviews. But anyway, it took us through the Globes. Well, th- that's my take on it, too. And no one knows what's said uh, there, but it's made for uh, some great memes that brands can uh, jump all over. Um, I, I full disclosure, I did not watch the Golden Globes. You were watching time. the football, weren't yeah, you? Yeah, I was. I was uh, because I had a rooting interest in the, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yes, probably going to lose up against our Kevin Zitzman's uh, Buffalo Bills. Hopefully, not going to lose by fifty this <laughs> Sunday afternoon. A lake effect game in Buffalo. Uh, not that we're all looking for head to it. Um, so, but uh, it's, it, it seems kind of like a disaster, right? The Golden Globes. Well, I, mean, I was could, flicking. The between the football bombed. and the and the yeah. the globes and 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 looking at I will say the, and, from yeah. what I've seen the the people there the attendees do seem to be more thoroughly lubricated at the Golden Globes than other <laughs> event shows and I think that does add something to it. Um, I was surprised that Taylor was there when she didn't win, did she? She and, didn't win. You know, um, it's kind of you'd have thought she would have made sure she was going to be winning some big prizes if she was going to attend because she brings, as we know, anything she attends automatically is enhanced a million times. What did you make of it? I have a different take. I thought it was fun, you know, just from like a viewer's perspective. I love fashion. I thought the fashion people came to slay a bit on the, you know, on the carpet. Everybody was dressed up. It felt like kind of post um, SAG issues and difficulties post pandemic. Mm. It felt to me like the vibe was we're back and it always is a little bit of a slur and a right and a blur that's i didn't mean that as a bad thing for oh the yeah record. no I thought, I, i'm i'm here for entertainment value because it couldn't yeah. have been it so, couldn't have been as notorious yeah. as last year could it right exactly <laughs> but i think people felt like there was a sense of everyone is representing their movies the movies were back this year barbenheimer right mm. there were big box office hits there was a reason to go to the movies again people brought the glam there were some awkward moments there were some memes um but i felt like it was kind of a back to business uh, mentality in terms of hollywood and i thought it was good to see a lot of different people come out right even if they weren't awarded they were sort of there to support the industry the bear is my favorite tv show for the past decade so i was really happy to see um jeremy and ao both win in their roles which was pretty awesome so, yeah, I think award season is off to a strong start and strong and entertaining start, to your point. Yeah, there was some good, great shows this year, for sure. I wanted to see Slow Horses win as a Brit, um, but it didn't, uh, didn't do so. so I'm, well I'm also a, a fan of The Bear. And if you watch the second season, there's a, a lot of Easter eggs and very subtle references to one of my, my few favorite films, which is the, uh, the Michael Mann film Thief, which are, you know, if you get the references, you're in way too far. Wow, so, yeah. Frank. You've hidden film depths yeah. here, mate. You'll have to talk to us I'm in the newsroom about that one. James Kahn, may he I'm always thinking peace. that, like, to me, the kitchen is just, like, the metaphor for the creative department mm. where you have kind of, like, yes, yeah, chef, like, to the executive creative director, and everybody plays a role, right, from production to creatives to producers. I always see so many parallels in our business, and when I look yeah. at that cast and how they collaborate and work together on deadlines. But Deadline I'm in, I'm in Do you make people bear. call you chef at the office? Absolutely. Chef Paviliquan. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I like the fact that the actor thanks restaurant workers at the end. That was good because it's a mm. much underappreciated sector. Um, shout out to my brother, Matt, in the UK, running his uh, 
contract catering firm and he's in that business and in the thick of it every weekend. So, uh, yeah, it was a great, I mean, there was some great acting in that series, wasn't there? Mm. So, so many scenes that really resonate with you and uh, Jamie Lee Curtis played an incredible God, role. So That's good. the episode of the Christmas episode. So there was some great TV. The soundtrack. Year. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they kind of found a way to give Barbie a, an award, didn't they? Which I thought was a bit sad that they had to make commercial success. I, I mean, why can't a commercial, commercially successful film win an Oscar or win a, a Golden Globe? Yeah, it's almost like it can't win because it's commercial. I, I, I'd, I'd like to see more commercial films win because, uh, you know, people actually like them and go and see them. That's yeah. why they're commercially successful. But. Seems like they're trying to create more space and yeah. more categories. And they're more cerebral, aren't they, in general, the winners. But it was... Uh, yeah, well, that's a talking point. And uh, another talking point this week, people were off to CES and yeah. uh, with the see-through TVs, Frank. What, what, well, what, so I'll, I'll give you a different take on CES. That's, that's less of a recap. Um, every year I read CES coverage from around the internet and I see a lot of, you know, look, there's a lot of AI-enabled things this year. Um, there's a lot of interesting gadgets. There's important announcements that coincide with CES, like uh, Apple said, when their headset is going to be out this year. Um I see a lot of tech announcements at CES every single year that are interesting, and I wonder like how many people are ever going to buy or use whatever we're talking about here. So I want to shout out something that seems uh, a really useful one, which is that so there's been this trend and a broadening trend over the past couple of years of all these non-technology brands going to CES. Uh, and making their own presentations. And Walmart had uh, one this week about how they're going to use AI to enable their search and delivery and uh, essentially uh, buy your kitchen products, your, the things that go in your refrigerator for you without you ordering them or without you putting any work into it on the schedule that you want them. Um, so I thought that was interesting. There's been some other... And there was a partnership with Microsoft and... Yeah. Both CEOs were there, so they were pushing yeah. it hard. Doug McMillan was there from Walmart. and um, I found that to be really useful, really interesting. Big business story. Yep. You know, it's great for CES for them to be doing that announcement there. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, as a trends watcher, AG, what did you – I mean, it's still going on, obviously, so what have yeah. you seen so far? Yeah, I've been reading the coverage, um, and I think it's a sign of the times, right, that mainstream brands are going to CES because, obviously, technology is – intersectional with everything now. So I, I love to see those um, those players kind of enter the stage and, and talk about how they're bringing that to audiences. What was interesting to me is that there was a lot of hardware, like interesting objects of technology that could potentially kind of be in, introduced to like a mass consumer. One that I thought was super interesting from like an aging, for an aging population are, you know, lights that leverage AI to create sensors that can detect a fall in your home, for example, right? Like, so these really interesting products. I, I'm also a little bit obsessed with this like hologram box. I asked John Lesniak, our CFO, if we could put one, <laughs> create a budget for 2024 so we could start playing with it. But that would actually start to enable hologram communication for people that may both have a, a hollow box. Um, I definitely think that, to your point, the AI-generated pillow might not reach the masses. I think you will definitely see a lot of folks in our industry leverage this technology for like earned media stunts this year because it's just like the brief writes itself, right? Mm. If you think about how to use these things to sort of create, um, you know, a, a moment for a brand or an experience that's going to earn attention. So I think that there are, there are some fun things to play with um, in the year to come. And it was definitely thought some of the hardware 
were standout. The TV I thought was awesome. And to me, that's a sign of the times of so all talk, that. For those who haven't seen it, talk us through the TV. So the TV is transparent, right? The, the transparent yeah. TV. And then it's enormous, right? Like just like <laughs> the scale of it. It's like the size of a wall, but these are really built to go inside people's mm. homes. And then there's an optim optimization of content too. So it can make the pixels appear sharper. Cause you know, when you watch older movies, like I watched Saltburn for the second time, which I, I don't think I would recommend um, last no, night. I, in, I, I, I in didn't the get that film at all. It was, it was I mean, that could be its own podcast. <laughs> I mean, the Jacob Elordi candle could be its own podcast, um, but it, it, you know, it's created with texture. And so watching it on a regular television is horrible, but right. These TVs would allow you to really blow that up to the right size and it would be optimized. So, um, it would almost be like a movie watching experience at home, which to me makes sense with the rise of fandom, with, you know, people post COVID having, you know, moved into more spaces and having these homes that they're spending more time in. Um, but it's pretty, it's pretty phenomenal if you just kind of like from an awe perspective, mm. if you, if you look at it and watch some of the videos, um, and, you know, that is one I think could ultimately, you know, meet or reach an end user. But some of the other things, you know, that we saw like Hollowbox, I don't think we're going to be using that tomorrow, but I do think brands and people in our industry will leverage a lot of this stuff, like I said, for stunts and kind of earned plays this year. So I think that's definitely something to watch. I got back from the holidays from being at my in-laws and uh, I was watching my TV and I was thinking, what's something wrong here? And it's, it's way smaller than my in-laws oh. TV. So oh, I'm getting TV envy. Twist. So I need to get a bigger, bigger monitor, bigger screen. But anyway, uh, enough of my uh, small... Small, small issues. Let's do a quick run through people news, Frank. Uh, we've, we're running over a little bit, so, yeah. but uh, some big moves this week yes, and it, some sad news, unfortunately. Yes. On the move. So Verizon Chief Communication Officer Jim Garacci, he's retiring after 30 years at the telecommunications company, he was actually there pre-Verizon uh, with the companies that and formed Ninex it. And, yeah, yeah, that is really... That's Go, really that is going back. back to the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so he was promoted to his current role uh, 10 years ago. He succeeded Peter Thonis, uh, who sadly died after a battle with pa pancreatic cancer uh, recently. Um, so it will be interesting to see uh, whether Jim fully retires or whether we see him consulting or at an agency yeah. sometime soon. Best of luck to him. Uh, We've got some news on that front coming next week, haven't we? We From do. One Sneak former preview. podcast guest. Yeah, a little quiz for you. Recent retiree. <laughs> figure out who it is astute listeners um <laughs> ascensions nick ragone uh also a veteran of ketchum is uh joining jefferson which is the philadelphia-based healthcare uh nonprofit and uh university system uh he is going to take on the role of evp and chief marketing and communications officer uh across those three groups jefferson has signed a non-binding letter of intent to combine with lehigh valley health system into a 30 hospital system in Pennsylvania in New Jersey. Nick is a Mets fan, so good luck in Philadelphia. So he's moving back, is he? <laughs> Fingers crossed. He's uh, moving back closer to the East Coast because he was in St. Louis. Uh, not St. Louis. Yeah, he was in St. Louis. Not he? not totally sure if he's coming back full-time, but I'd assume right. he's going to spend a fair amount of time there. BlackRock has a new global head of corporate communications, and that's Lee Ferris. She is replacing Jim Bowdenhausen, uh, who is a 12-year veteran of the company. Obviously, that's that's always a company under the microscope because of the impact uh, that it has had on CSR, ESG, uh, Larry Fink's you know, annual letter that, that spells out what the company is doing in those areas each year. Interested to see what she 
brings to it as well. Was that an exclusive, Frank, or was that sent out to all the main people at the same time via email? Well, my understanding, it was sent out to a lot of outlets yeah, at the same okay. time. Anyway, a little, little in-joke there, sorry. <laughs> right. Um, okay, so uh, a few, uh, some sad news to pass on. Uh, Scott Bodoin, uh, who was really an advocate uh, for brand purpose and a pioneer in the space, uh, worked at places including Public Inc., Broder Partners, Fenton, RF Binder, worked at MSL, um, and really a well-respected person uh, in the purpose marketing space, died last week after uh, a battle with brain cancer. You could tell from social media, he uh, made an impact on a lot of people in that space um, and will certainly be missed. And also, um, in late December, one of the first Edelman employees in the UK, David Davis, who was the, uh, the agency's UK CEO and deputy chairman and a close associate of Dan Edelman, the, the agency's founder, uh, he passed away at age 87. Uh, and he actually began his career as a Times of London uh, reporter before joining the agency in 1968, one of the first UK-based employees. Yeah, or as we call it in London, the Times. Um, yeah, so David was one of the people on the Edelman family tree we yeah. did recently, actually, and a real stalwart of the building of that firm. And such tragic news about Scott and a lovely guy, really lovely guy, and great tributes paid to him. Very aggressive brain cancer that took him very quickly. It was It's a horrible disease. Um, and our thoughts with all his uh, family, friends, and, and colleagues. Because, uh, as you said earlier, I think, AG, you've got to make the most of your time on this planet, haven't you? And uh, there's been far too many deaths in the industry over the past 12 months. Um, it's sad to see that trend continuing in 24. So, yeah. Um, Okay, well, just to finish off, we've uh, put out the call for submissions to our agency business report. Uh, so look out for that. If your agency hasn't received the missive from our team, then do reach out to abr at prweek.com as we start the process of building our big report of the year. And don't forget, um, next week is the final deadline for the Healthcare Awards, 15th of January. Get your uh, entries in for that. We have Women of Distinction. Distinction. That standard deadline is the 19th of January. We have the Oscars of PR, the 25th version of the PR Week Awards on the 14th of March in uh, New York City. And the PR Week Global Awards, they'll be in London on May the 15th. May the 15th. The final entry deadline for that is approaching. So make sure you've got your entries in for that. AG, it's been fantastic having you on the show. We could have gone for longer. I know. It's so great much to see to you both. About. Seriously, thanks for having me. And I love your digs here. Yeah, we good energy, good people. Yeah, we've uh, producer Fitz has put a bit of a bit of a, a situation together here. We were enjoying uh, recording our pods, but so uh, that's all we got time for. We'll see you next time on the PR Week.